What's up, SMC? So good to be here. Ah, uh, man, my kids, my kids are at that age where they are done with cartoons, and so. Every night, they give this list of movies that they want me to allow them to watch. So they're like, Dad, can we watch Napoleon Dynamite? And I'm like, no, man, too much language. They're like, what about Nacho Libre? I'm like, no, too much skin. They're like, what about Mean Girls? No. No. And I'll say to them, I'll say, man, we are overprotective homeschool parents. You get in there and you watch a Planet Earth documentary. And they're like, we're not watching a Planet Earth documentary. We're not watching a Planet Earth documentary. So here we are as a family watching a Planet Earth documentary. And I'll be honest, those things can get kind of edgy, okay? I mean, they can. I'm kind of nervous. Like the commentator, you hit play and the commentator comes out and he's like a hundred deer sipping at a watering hole in the Serengeti. And I know what's coming. You know what's coming. We're sinners. We want that lion to come. Come on, lion, let's see some action. And all of a sudden, out from the brush, a lion jumps. And our kids are yelling, go, doe, go, go, doe. And it's like a hundred deer are in unison playing tag from a lion. And they're playing tag with incredibly high stakes. And we all know the rule. The doe that gets isolated gets eaten. The doe that gets isolated, our kids are like, go, doe, go, go, doe, go. No hope, dead doe, kids cry. And then all of a sudden, like a few minutes later, the commentator pans to Antarctica and shares about the Arctic walrus with their hard back shell. And when the shark comes, they form a huge circle and they turn their backs out, nothing getting in. And literally the hope of the survival for their Arctic walrus is that they would stay together. And as we think about that, Staying together is not only life and death for the deer and the Arctic walrus, but spiritually, it's life and death for us. It's life and death for us. We're going to talk this morning about fellowship. And maybe you're like, fellowship, man, I've got that down. I need help with word and prayer and sharing my faith. But what I quickly realized at NSU is the reason I wasn't in the word, the reason I wasn't praying, the reason I wasn't sharing my faith is because I was not involved in true fellowship. I wasn't involved in true fellowship. I thought I had it down. I thought fellowship, I'm good. I got tons of Christian friends. I went to Christian meetings, had tons of Christian friends. I went to the Christian concerts, and those things are fun to do. I wanted to have, we need to have Christian friends and go to Christian meetings and go to Christian concerts. But what I realized was just because I was doing something with Christians did not mean that I was truly fellowshipping. I had more fake fellowship than true fellowship. I was literally deceived by fake fellowship. What do I mean by fake fellowship? Fake fellowship is all of my Christian friends told me what I wanted to hear. None of them told me what I needed to hear. 
Fake fellowship is I showed up at Christian meetings when I wanted to and when it was convenient. Fake fellowship is all of my Christian friends validated every girlfriend I had, and trust me, the vast majority, none should have been validated. Fake fellowship means none of my Christian friends asked me how my purity was, how my time in the Word was, and if I was sharing my faith. I had tons of Christian friends. I had no true fellowship. And what I realized was I was becoming the wrong person with the wrong priorities, with the wrong purpose. And I needed true fellowship. And I found true fellowship. What about you? You got a ton of Christian friends validating everything you do, only telling you what you want to hear? Is someone helping you grow spiritually? Someone's your guardrail, speaking into your life, speaking truth? Or are you too deceived by fake fellowship? And maybe you don't even realize it. Maybe you're like, no, man, what I have is true fellowship, but it's really fake fellowship because you've never experienced true fellowship. We're gonna talk about what it means to be involved in true fellowship. And the enemy wants to keep you from true fellowship. The enemy wants to keep you from true fellowship. 1 Peter 5.8, what a fantastic verse. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He wants to keep you in fake fellowship because then you too will have the wrong priorities, become the wrong person with the wrong purpose. 1 Peter 5.8, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Who's he looking to devour? Those in fake fellowship. What does it mean to be devoured? Well, for some of you, being devoured means that you're isolated and alone. But for the the vast majority of us, being devoured means we are only around the wrong people. We only have the wrong people speaking in our life, and we're slowly being devoured. Do you realize Most of us have no one in our life who's going to tell us we're going to marry the wrong person. Do you realize most of us have no one in our life who's going to say, that's the wrong person? There were friends in my life, Christian and non-Christian, that I had to vote off the island. I'm like, you're done. You're just bringing me down. If you were frozen with your friend group right now for the rest of your life, who would you become? If you were frozen with your current friend group right now, who would you become? Your life will rise and fall based on who you are or are not interacting with. If you had no knowledge of the Bible, if you had no knowledge of the Bible and you picked one up and began to read it and began to obey it, you would immediately be living counterculture. Everyone in your sorority or fraternity or your your dorm would notice. Everyone would notice. Some would mock you, some would avoid you, but make no mistake, all would notice you. And then you would start noticing other Christ followers on campus who are living counterculture. And your non-believing friends are saying, come back to self-absorbed, high maintenance, your story, your world. 
but you're like, no, I want to live for something bigger and greater. And your hope of following Christ on your campus and having an impact would, you, would be you coming together in true fellowship with those who too are living counterculture. God wants to change you to change the world. But to do that, you need to be involved in true fellowship. If you can't pick your friends who are going to encourage, correct, and direct you, you're not ready to pick your spouse who's going to need to do the same. When I say fellowship, what am I talking about? When I say true fellowship, let me just define it for you. Here's the best definition I've got. Fellowship is Christ's followers being together for the intention of encouragement, direction, correction, and worship. Each word is very intentional. Fellowship is Christ followers being together. You're coming together with Christ followers with the intention. There's a plan. There's a determination for encouragement. How can I help you? How can I encourage you? Man, can I share what I see God doing in your life? You're coming together with intention of encouragement, but also direction. Hey, do you have a a tool to share with your non-Christian friends? I don't. Let me show you one. Hey, I know you want to lead a Bible study. Do you even know how to lead one? I don't. Let me show you how. You come together with Christ's followers. There's intention. There's encouragement. There's direction. There's correction. How are you doing on the screens this week? What are you watching? What are you seeing? How are you doing with bitterness? Are you getting your self-image from God or from Instagram? There's intention. There's encouragement. There's direction. There's correction. There's worship. Not just singing. Worship is also praying. It's reading our Bibles. It's thanking the Lord for what he can and will do. Fellowship means coming together with intention, encouragement, direction, correction, and worship. It's not, I go to Stumo to meet a cute Kayo. Guys, fellowship is not sharing an earbud while you work out. Girls, fellowship is not a night of pedicures while you listen to Maverick City and you call it chicks and queso. It's not a Christian intramural team. It's not a fraternity. It's not a study group. It's not even going to your large group meeting on campus. Just because you do something with Christians doesn't mean you are truly fellowshipping. Fellowship is coming together with the intention of encouragement, direction, correction, and worship. And though sharing an earbud and chicks and queso are fun things to do with Christians, it's not how the Bible defines fellowship. It's not how the Bible defines fellowship. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And then he exhorts us, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another 
and even more as we see the day approaching. Let us consider how we may spur one another on. That means when you sit down in true fellowship, you're thinking, God, how do you want to use me to speak in her or his life? It's not just you go to fellowship because you get something. You go to fellowship because God wants to use you to give. Consider how we need you in fellowship because of what you offer. Consider how I can spur one another on. When you are missed, you are missed. But then it goes on, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. There's Christ followers on your campus who don't meet together. You're not allowed to be like that. You cannot give up meeting together. Your hope for survival is in true fellowship. Though Christians yawn at going to Bible study, you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to stop meeting together. You're not allowed to miss. Because when you miss, you're missed. Even all the more as you see the day approaching. What is the day approaching? That's Christ returning. The writer says, Christ is returning. And when he returns, how does he want to find you? He wants to find you in fellowship. That's how he wants to find you. The two things that are going to make you different in five years are the books you read and the friends you have. And books aren't enough. Show me your fellowship and I'll show you your future. Show me your fellowship, and I'll show you your future. You think Frodo's taking the ring to Mordor by himself? No, he needs the fellowship of the ring. I thought that was good. I thought that was really good. Just nailed that. This morning, I want to give you four truths to fellowship. I want to give you four truths. They're going to be simple truths. Do not give up meeting together. Truth number one. Truth number one, truth number one, we were created for one another. Truth number one, we were created, we were created for one another. Everyone, no matter who they are, finds people who are like them and gets in community with them. It doesn't matter who you are, we all find people who are like us and start hanging out with them. Goths, Greeks, athletes, anime, everyone has their tribe. Everyone has their tribe. Why? why? Why do we all gravitate towards, naturally, people who are like us? The answer is this. It's how you were made. It's how I was made. It's how God made us. Genesis 1.28, let us make man in our image. Let us. This is what God says, let us. Let us. Who's the us? Us is the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. God is the most relational being in the universe. And he says, let us make humanity in our image. When someone says, you're the spitting image of your dad, it means you share similar characteristics. God, the most relational being in the universe, looks at humanity and says, let us make man in our image. You were created for community. You were created for one another. 
And in Genesis chapter one, 10 times God will walk through the creation process. He says at the end of every one, it is good, it is good, it is good. And he made the earth and it is good. He made the sun and moon and it is good. He made vegetation and it is good. He made the land animals and the sea animals and it is good. And then all of a sudden on the 11th time, he stops the pattern. And for the first time he says, it's not good. What I've just done, this is not right. Something is missing. Genesis 2.18, it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. Why? Because we were created for one another. Animals aren't created in his image. Animals aren't like that. Cats don't want you around. Cats are mad that you're in their house. Now, here's what's interesting. When God says to Adam, when God says to Adam, it is not good for you to be alone, who was with Adam? God. God was with Adam. God told Adam, hey, Adam, it's not just me and you. That's not good. That's not how I created you. I created you for another. It's not just you and God. You know who says it's not just you and God? God says it's not just you and God. You were created for another. And humanity knows this. What is the worst possible punishment we give to prisoners? Solitary confinement. Solitary confinement. It goes hand in hand with suicide watch. Ecclesiastes 4. Two are better than one. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. I pity, I pity anyone who falls down who doesn't have another. One may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, but a cord of three stands, strands is not quickly broken. Show me your fellowship and I'll show you your future. Truth number one, we were created for one another. Truth number two, we cannot grow without one another. Truth number two, we cannot grow without one another. We cannot grow without one another. When you become a Christ follower, you get Jesus as your savior, but you also get us as your brother and sister. When you become a Christ follower, you get Jesus as your savior, but also you get a family and you cannot grow without one another. Let me just share with you the one another's. I'm gonna share with you a few one another's in scripture. And this is God telling us how we become Christ-like. Listen to this. Love one another, be devoted to one another, build up one another, accept one another, instruct one another, care for one another, serve one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, teach one another, comfort one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, confess to one another, exhort one another. 
I could keep going until we're in a verse coma. These are 15 that I gave you. There's 59 in the New Testament alone. And this is not a list of to-dos. This is how you're made Christ-like. When you're in true fellowship and you feel like someone wrongs you or you're bitter or you're angry, people are your guardrails saying, you need to forgive. You need to love. We must have one another in order to grow. And some of these are harder than others on purpose. Some people are very difficult to forgive. God says, forgive them. In true fellowship, they're asking me, how are you doing at forgiveness? I'm terrible at it. Some of these are hard to serve. It's hard to serve some people. Hey, how are you doing at loving your mom, loving your dad, serving it? Man, I don't want to. But what happens? We become Christ-like as we engage with one another. I was flying. I was flying from LA to Dallas. And I take my seat on my plane and I just, I heart my passengers. I love who's next to me. And so they sit down and I chatty Kathy, you know, I'm like, hi. And they're like, oh yeah. But I'm like, what's your name? And I sit next to this girl, LA to Dallas. And she's like, my name's Cher. And I love asking spiritual conversation. I love asking spiritual questions. And so I always ask this to everybody I sit next to. I said, oh, Cher, I said, Cher, if this plane were to explode midair, would you find yourself in heaven or in hell? I don't laugh at you. I don't ask that. I'm a little softer. I'm a little softer. Here's the question I ask everybody I sit next to on a plane. It's a real simple question that gets the conversation going. I said, what's your name? She said, Cher. I said, Are, would you consider yourself spiritual? Just a soft answer, you know, soft answer to hear back. Would you consider yourself spiritual? And Cher says, why, yes, I was raised in church, but I haven't gone for like 20 years. And then she starts justifying why. She's like, why do I need to go to a building to be spiritual? Why do I need someone to tell me how to read my Bible? Why do I need someone telling me what I'm doing is wrong? And to be honest, I've thought those questions. Maybe you've thought those questions. So I paused for a second, sipped my Diet Coke, and pondered how to answer. Share. When a person becomes a Christ follower, we have blind spots and we have baggage. We have addictions. We just have a lot of stuff that we can't see. And it takes other Christ followers in fellowship where we learn those things. But not only, share do we have blind spots and baggage and addictions, we have incredible work God wants us to do. We have people God wants to encourage us through. We have people who God wants us to share with. But I don't know how to share the gospel. I need someone to come with me and say, this is how you do it. And then I just mentioned a few of the 15 one another's we went over. I said, share over and over again in the New Testament, love one another, honor one another, submit to one another, correct one another. And then I said, share. If you were stranded on a desert island with just your Bible, you couldn't obey half of it. 
You cannot be spiritual in isolation because these are commands that God tells us to do to others. You cannot obey half of it. We need one another. Just think about what I talked about. Without one another, who will I forgive? I'm commanded to forgive. God says, forgive. Who will I forgive? Without one another, who will I encourage? I'm, you're commanded to encourage. Without one another, who will I build up? That's a command. Who am I building up right now? Without one another, who will I exhort? That's a command, exhort one another. We cannot grow in isolation. Can I have an impact for Christ if I don't know when Romans was written? Yes. Can I have an impact for Christ if I don't fully understand the book of John? Yes. Can I have an impact for Christ if I'm bitter and ungrateful and unforgiving and angry? No. 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 Connor, Connor comes to college as a freshman. He would say he's a Christian, but really God is a distant hobby that he is not interested in. Connor's interested in three things as a freshman. He's interested in school, sororities, and squid game, and that's it. And when he comes in, the first month of school, Connor will meet friends. He'll meet friends. Some of those friends are going to be Christ followers. Some of those friends are not. The hope of Connor's four to nine year college life, his hope for those four to nine years of if he's going to survive, is does he get in touch? Does he surround himself with a core group of true people who want a fellowship? If Connor finds Christ followers who come together and will encourage, correct, and direct, Connor will thrive. If he does not find those people, Connor has no hope. Connor, me, and you, we cannot grow without one another. We can't grow without one another. Do you know the problem with my eyes? The problem with my eyes is they point out. I can't see myself correctly. I wore Crocs so long they came back in style. Nobody told me. Nobody. The problem with my eyes is they point out I need people involved with true fellowship who can see me. And recently I had a really tough conversation. A friend of mine took me to coffee and I, I didn't see it coming. He set me down. This happened like a month ago. He was like, bro, you do this and it hurts people. And I was like, oh, I, got, I wanted to justify it. My first thing was like, I don't do it a lot. The second thing I wanted to do is, well, you do it too. I wanted to self-justify, but in my heart of hearts, I knew this. I knew he had my best interest. I believed he had my best interest. And I remembered as he was sharing, I remembered Proverbs 27, six. I remember Proverbs 27, six, faithful. I thought this, I, he, matter of fact, he's like, how are you doing? I said, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And so, bro, I want to apply these things. I want to get better. And I have. I've heard him out. I had this blind spot. I didn't even see it. 
We need true fellowship to be our guardrails. But not only that, we need true fellowship because there's people who you are around that just fire you up spiritually. I mean, there's people in my life who I get so excited, I feel more spiritual when I'm close to them in in proximity. Like I'm like, if I stand next to you, I just feel better. Not as good. I feel better. Fellowship is not only our guardrails, it encourages us. In the 1970s, scientists wanted to try to find out what caused addictions. And so they had this plan. They put a rat alone in a cage. Once the rat was alone in the cage, they introduced pure water and then drugged water. And they watched this rat choose the drug water every time. And as the rat chose the drug water, Eventually, it took two months for him to come and become incredibly addicted to overdose and die. And so in the 1970s, scientists said, the chemicals in the drugs cause addiction. And then psychologist Bruce Alexander thought, of course, a rat alone in a cage is gonna choose the drug water. So Bruce created Rat Park. Rat Park was as big as this stage. It had Karis wheels, it had mazes, it had food, it had all kinds of activities, but most importantly, Rat Park, it had rats, hundreds of rats. And so Bruce, he dropped a hundred rats in Rat Park, and then he introduced the pure water and the drugged water. And everybody, all the scientists were like, well, what's gonna happen? Of course the rats are gonna choose, of course the rats are gonna choose the drugged water. And what happened is this. None of the rats chose the drugged water. They chose to drink the pure water. There was power in community. And then Bruce took it a step further. He took a rat from Rat Park and he picked him up and he put him in an isolated cage. And he introduced the drug water and the pure water. And every time the rat from Rat Park in isolation chose the drug water. And just before the rat was going to overdose and die, Bruce came in and he swept the rat up and he put it in Rat Park and he watched. He watched as this rat would scurry over to the drug water and would drink. And then he would scurry back to the Rat Park with his friends. And then he watched how the rat would go back to the drug water and would drink and then would scurry back to his friends. And then he watched as the rat went to the pure water and he drank and he scurried back with his friends. And then the rat drank, (laughs) never going to the drugged water again. There's power, there's healing in Rat Park. 
And if that's true for rats, how much more true are you and I made in the image of God filled with his spirit? We need one another. We cannot grow without one another. Truth number one, we were created for one another. Truth number two, we cannot grow without one another. And truth number three, sin, sin will isolate us from one another. Sin will isolate us from one another. Sin will isolate us. You would think after everything I've just said, as soon as you're a Christ follower, day one, you would think, day one, you look up and you say, I need true fellowship. I'm gonna, I'm gonna anchor deep in this fellowship. You would think day one, you would be running to it. But instead, the vast majority of Christ followers run from it. They run from it. How? Why? That would be crazy to isolate. We run from it because we are sinful and we love hiding. Our culture says, women, you must be perfect. Our culture says, men, you must not be weak. And in true fellowship, women, we realize you're not perfect and that guys cry. And so what happens? We run we isolate, we choose alone. Proverbs 18.1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Whoever isolates, they want their own desire. That's why we isolate. We leave true fellowship and sound judgment because we want to isolate. Think about this. When you're in community with Christ followers, you have incredible sound judgment. Hey, should I make this decision for my summers? Should I do this for spring break? Should I, should I share the gospel now with this person or wait a few weeks? You have, should I date this person or not? You have incredible sound judgment. But once you start choosing your own desires, you want to isolate. Why do we isolate? Why do we isolate? I have a few reasons we isolate. I have a few reasons we isolate. We isolate because we date those we shouldn't date. We date those we shouldn't date. Our Christ-following friends, they're telling us, don't date them. Our own sound judgment says my relationship with God will take off if I don't. But instead, I seek my own desire and I isolate and I break away from true fellowship. And we justify it. Oh, we justify it. He's a great guy. He owns the Bible. He has perfect lettuce. I mean, we do. We, I, we, we justify it. This happened to a girl in my wife's Bible study. She goes to Kaleo. She comes back. She's on fire for Christ. She's sharing the gospel in sorority. She's leading girls. She's helping girls. She's encouraging girls. And then she connects 
with her old boyfriend who's not a Christ follower, and they kiss. And her friends are texting her, hey, you missed this week, where are you at? Nothing. It happens again, it happens again, and it happens again. Three more times she connected with her old boyfriend. She stopped showing up to small group. She completely faded out of true fellowship and she married him. It is a serious symptom when you cut off your accountability. It is a serious symptom when you cut off your accountability. And it is a major red flag when other girls in your study stop showing up. It's a major red flag. What's going on? You're gravitationally being pulled to isolate. Who is it? What is it? We wanna help, don't leave. You're gonna be devoured. We isolate because we date those we shouldn't. We also isolate because we prioritize image management. We prioritize image. I love functions. I love drinking at functions. I love drinking a lot at functions. My motto is you be you. I don't, listen, I'm, I don't judge anybody. However you want to live is fine. You do you. But then in true fellowship, I have this accountability. I have people asking me, hey, have you shared with her? And I'm like, listen, I don't want to follow Christ if it crucifies my image. Count me out. Count me out. And so what happens, we choose image management over true fellowship. We, don't, we, we, we isolate because of those we date. We isolate be, because of image management. But the number one reason that we've all seen people isolate on the college campus busyness. Busyness. You have so much pulling for your time. Intramurals, fraternities, sororities, social events. We have everything pulling for our time. And then on top of all that, we've got classes and studying and work. Any free time I have, any free time I have goes to Fortnite and functions. Other than that, I have no time. If you lined up 10 college students on any college campus anywhere in America, any time during the semester, let me say that again. If you lined up 10 college students anywhere in America at any time during the semester, and you went one by one and asked 10, all 10 of them, man, how are you doing? They're all 10. All 10 are going to say one word. Busy, 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 busy. I don't even have time to brush my teeth. Like, I'm busy. Busy, I'm busy. You do not need to be busy with your time. You need to be strategic with your time. You do not need to be busy with your time. You need to be strategic. And what is the most strategic thing you could do? True fellowship. You have to fight for fellowship. Life's coming at you. You're going to be busy. You're going to be wanting to date people you shouldn't date. You're going to want to image, man. You have to fight for fellowship. 
you have to fight. The gravitational pull is to fake fellowship. I'll say it again. Show me your fellowship and I'll show you your future. Show me your fellowship and I'll show you your future. You know, we have five kids, which is kind of a lot. Uh, we order off the catering menu at Chick-fil-A. And uh, it's kind of weird, you know, driving through the drive through and be like, catering menu? Uh, but it works for us. And uh, my wife, she had this novel idea. Hey, Todd, let's adopt. I'm like, babeskies, we've got five. I said, we've got five kids already. We have five, that's a basketball team. And she's like, every basketball team needs a sub. And so I was like, dang it, you can't. What's my comeback on the sub? It's true. So I was like, all right, we'll adopt. We'll adopt. Uh, so we, uh, we bring home this five-year-old boy from China. Like full on, he's my son. And he's Chinese. It's a little weird snuggling, I'll be honest. Uh, no English, no English. Yeah, whatever you're thinking's right, no English. And uh, Mandarin, all day, all day Mandarin tantrums. You ever heard of Mandarin tantrum? You ever heard of Mandarin tantrum? I will, I, I will play you a Mandarin tantrum. And I was, I was talking to a friend of mine, you know, it's hard. Oh, my five, my five kids, they've, they've dealt with a lot. He can be mean, he can hit, he breaks everything. And um, I was meeting with a friend of mine. I was reminiscing. I was remin reminiscing. I was like, oh, I remember. We, we would get invited over by the Hendrix. Not anymore. Not with Mandarin tantrums. I remember we vacationed. Oh, we vacationed. Not anymore. Not with Mandarin tantrums. We went to the movies. That's a big deal. We went to the movies. And my friend looked at me and he said, easier is not better. I said, what? He said, e you think easier is, be easier is not better. And then I'm talking to my 14-year-old daughter, Camden. And she suffered a lot through this. And I said, Camden, I was just asking her in general, Camden, what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be someone who adopts. And I thought, wow, it would have been easier for me to not be involved in this little boy from Asia's life, but it would not have been better. It might be easier to surround yourself with people who only tell you what you want to hear. It's not better. It may be easier for you to hide your struggles. It's not better. It may be easier for you to just stay in this bad relationship. It's already been a long time, but it is not better. Easier is not better. Nobody gets used by God in isolation. 
Nobody gets used by God in isolation. Truth number one, we were created for one another. Truth number two, we cannot grow without one another. Truth number three, sin wants to isolate. Sin will isolate us from one another. And truth number four, reaching the lost starts with being with one another. Reaching the lost starts by being with one another. Reaching the lost on your campus and in the world begins with us being with one another. We don't involve ourselves in fellowship just a fellowship. Fellowship is the fuel for evangelism. Fellowship is the fuel. It gives us the encouragement, the direction, the correction, the momentum to launch out. And this is what you see in Acts chapter 1 and in Acts chapter 2. You see fellowship being the fuel to reach the world. Think about this. When Jesus was buried and he rose again and he returned to the Father, he left 120 believers. That's all the believers in the world that there were. And they were in a Jer Jerusalem and they were scared. They were separated. They were isolated. They were alone. Their leader, they don't even know what, what happened. What do we do next? And they knew that if they had any hope, they had to come back together. And that's what happens in Acts chapters 1, verse 14. Listen to this, Acts 1, 14. All of them, they were scattered all over Jerusalem, 120 of them. They numbered 120, but they knew they had to come together. All of them with one accord, devoting themselves to prayer. They numbered 120. Jerusalem was the size of 100,000 people. 120 is nothing. But together in true fellowship, filled with the spirit and fueled with the passion that we see from one another, they went out to the streets. And listen to this in the next chapter. Those who accepted the message were baptized. 3,000 were added to their number. They went from 120 to 3,000. Why? They came together. They needed encouragement, direction, correction. They wanted to worship. And when they did that, they said, let's go out. That's the fuel to go out. Fellowship, if that was what got them going. Think about this. The next verse, after the 3,000, listen to this. The next verse in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The 3,000 came back together. They fought for fellowship. They fought for fellowship. And the next verse, verse 43, all came upon all Jerusalem. Like, what's going on? You gotta be joking. Fellowship is the fuel. And guess what? They kept doing this. The next verse, keep reading, verse 46. Day by day, they came together. Day by day, they worshiped, they took communion, they prayed, and they found favor with all the people. They fought for fellowship. The result, keep reading. The Lord added to their number every day. You might say to you might say to me, Todd, I'm fine. I'm I, I'm the only Christ follower in my fraternity, and I'm doing okay. Soul survivor is not the goal. The goal is for you to launch Christ following movements in your living group, and to do that, you need true fellowship. Where did the disciples get this idea from of come together to be sent out? Come together to be sent out. 
Jesus. The first words he spoke, he called the disciples to be with him. Mark 3.14, Mark 3.14, he appointed 12 that they might be with him. True fellowship, worshiping, praying, hearing the word. Why? That they might be sent out. This is the pattern of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. With Jesus, sent out. With Jesus, sent out. I have six kids. I have a full-time job. I travel like crazy. But I, I do everything in my power Wednesday mornings at 7 o'clock to meet together with a core group of guys. And with that core group, we try to be real with ourselves. We try to be real with God so that we can reach others. We don't meet just to meet. There's intention. You do not need more Christian friends. You need more true fellowship. You need more true fellowship. Let me give you a few questions just to think about. Let me give you a few questions. Question number one, who will you find true fellowship with this spring? The enemy wants to devour you. Who will you find true fellowship with? And the odds are they're on your row. The odds are they brought you here. Who will you find true fellowship with this spring? Question number two, how are you going to fight for fellowship? Things want to isolate. Things want to isolate you. Know what they are. Hey, I know I'm going back to a bad relationship. I know I'm going back to a crazy schedule. I know I'm going back to justifying my whole life and being self-absorbed. Don't let me. How are you going to fight for fellowship? And then third, what are you going to... Some of you don't need a to-do list. You need a to-don't list. What are you going to put on a to-don't list? I don't want to be busy with my time. I want to be strategic. I'm not talking about don't candy vape, but what are we talking about? What are we talking about? How can I, what do I need to put on my to-don't list? There's people you probably need to vote off your island to. They're just bringing you down. And then there's people you need to say, man, I need to do life with you. Do you know there is an opportunity that will give you a greenhouse of true fellowship? There is an opportunity that we all have in this room that will give us a greenhouse of true fellowship. And I almost missed it. I almost missed it. I almost missed Kaleo. It was, it was my freshman year coming to an end. I've been taking trips to the University of Arkansas to try to grow. But man, I, I knew I needed more, but I also needed money for college. And I had a great job lined up and my parents wanted me back home. And I got invited to this nine week summer project that I was a greenhouse for encouraging me, correcting me, directing me and helping me learn to worship. And when mo most people, I came to my summer and I was like, man, where can I make the most money? Where can I intern? Where can I have the most fun? That's how I was looking in March to my summer. But God just struck me. He's like, man, don't ask those three questions. Every, every Christian asks those three questions. You be different. You ask this question. Where can I grow the most? Where can I grow the most? Where can I grow the most? Summer's the number one time that the enemy wants to isolate us back home old friends, old habits, old addictions. And I knew that was waiting. And I said yes to Kaleo. And God used Kaleo 
to change my life. And you know, if seven of your friends look you in the eye and say, God used Kaleo to change my life, go to Kaleo, at some point, you gotta believe them. If seven of them, wait, you too? Yeah. You too? Yeah. You too? Yeah. At some point, you gotta say, okay, I believe you. I believe you. Don't isolate this summer. Ask the Lord. And I don't, you guys have awesome opportunities to explore, but would you go to that lunch? And will you just, as you walk over there, if you're undecided and you might've already been like, I got to email this guy and tell uncommit. You, it's okay. We're all, we're all rookies here. Okay. You might just walk over and be like, Lord, where can I grow the most? Not what's going to pay me, not what's going to be the most fun, not what my mom wants, not what my mom wants, but where can I grow the most? We were created for one another. We cannot grow without one another. Sin will isolate us from one another. And reaching the law starts with being with one another. Aaron Ralston was a 27-year-old experienced climber from Utah. He sets out one day. He sets out one day to go climb the canyons of Utah. He takes with him a phone and a Walmart pocket knife that his mom got him for Christmas. And as he begins to climb, he goes through all his routines and something happens as he begins to climb. A boulder breaks loose. He can't avoid it, and it pins, it pins his arm to the cave. He has no cell phone service. He has no hope of getting out. As he is there within 24 hours pinned with his arm, he loses all blood flow in his fingers. He realizes within 24 hours that insects have begun eating his fingers. On day six, he has to make a decision. He has to make a decision. He has to cut off his arm. And before he cuts it off, he takes a picture. In order to cut off his arm with a bad pocket knife, he has to break the ulna and the radius. And then he begins the process. He wrote a book. He called it Between a Rock and a Hard Place. You're going back to campus and boulders await. The boulder of bad relationships is coming and it wants to isolate you. The boulder of image management is coming and it wants to isolate you. And the boulder of busyness is coming and it wants to isolate you. 
And if you allow it, you will decay morally, you will die spiritually, and you will lose all sensitivity towards God. If you wanna live a life of impact, you must fight for true fellowship.